Well, those are uh, tough questions, aren't they? And uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to try to answer those questions and explore those issues uh, in our new series called uh, Joy for Dummies. You probably have seen the series of books that are out that look like this, that uh, are all different kinds of topics, uh, all uh, kind of complicated things sometimes, simplified so that the average person knows how to do it. Um, there are like thousands of these books, I think. I was actually uh, looking on uh, Amazon the other day, and I found some that I thought were interesting. Uh, let me show you a few of these. Uh, here's the first one. Uh, I thought this was relevant for the Times, uh, Stock Investing for Dummies. Uh, maybe you feel that way if you have money in the stock market right now. And for a lot of people who have invested in the stock market, things may not be going so well. And so you might need this next book, Anger Management for Dummies. Yeah. Here's another one I found uh, on the Internet, uh, Law for Dummies. I had a lot of thoughts go through my mind. I think there are a lot of people who have read it from this book, evidently. Here's another one, How to Fix Everything for Dummies. Now, my first thought was, that would be like a huge book, wouldn't it? I mean, How to Fix Everything. Josh said uh, this morning it would actually be a very small book. All you need in it is how to use duct tape. That'll fix anything, right? Okay, and then this next one, I thought, um, I saw this one and I thought there are a couple of men in America that over the next couple of weeks ought to read this book, okay? Here it is, The Presidency for Dummies, okay? If you think I'm trying to imply something there, I maybe, who knows? Well, I am not implying this morning that any of you are dummies, but I would say this morning that a lot of us, if not all of us, struggle to have joy in our lives. A lot of us struggle to feel like our life could be filled with joy. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to explore um, how we could have joy in our lives. And I want us to find our answers in a book of the Bible called Philippians. Now, Philippians is a book that was written like a lot of other books in the New Testament by Paul, a leader in the early church. And this particular letter, he writes to a group of uh, Christ followers in a city called Philippi. Now, he had gone to Philippi about 10 years earlier, in a, about A.D. 52, and had started a church there. And it was a, had become a really healthy, vibrant church. And about 10 years later, he writes this letter to them. And if you just read through the book of Philippians, if you read it like a letter, you realize pretty quickly this is a church that Paul really likes. He feels really good about this church and about the things that are happening there and the health of the church and the attitude of the people. And uh, it's also pretty obvious he has uh, some pretty deep relational connections with the people at Philippi. And in this letter, he talks a lot about joy. In fact, there is one statement that he makes that describes joy in his life that I think is sort of the key. And I want to look at that briefly because I think the rest of the book then sort of explains, well, how would we get to that point in our life? Here's what he says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, be full of joy in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Be full of joy. Now you need to understand something about Paul. When he writes those words, when he talks about having a life that is full of joy, it is not a time in his life when you would expect someone to write about being full of joy because Paul actually writes this from prison. Yeah, he spends 24 hours a day during the time that he's writing this chain between two Roman guards. Uh, he actually, his life has been threatened. There is the chance that he'll be executed every morning when he wakes up. He doesn't know if this will be the day 
that they come in and say to him, you're not going to pass go, you're not going to collect $200, you're going to be executed today. And for two years, Paul has lived in this environment. And in the midst of that kind of suffering, in the midst of that kind of environment, those circumstances, Paul writes, be full of joy always. Twelve times in this little letter that he writes to the people in Philippi, twelve times he talks about joy in his own life and joy in our lives. Now, how do you do that? How do you, in the midst of that kind of struggle, in that kind of suffering, how do you write about having the life that is full of joy? How do you do that? You know what? I want that. I want that in my life. I want to experience that kind of joy in my life. So how do we do it? Well, I think Paul describes some things in this letter, some things that he has focused his life on that can allow us to also experience this joy. Here's something also interesting about Paul. I think Paul had made a choice about how he was going to handle his suffering. You know, when when suffering comes into our life, when we have difficult circumstances, we can either choose to make it purposeless or we can choose to make it purposeful. We can choose that it's going to accomplish nothing or we can choose that it can accomplish something in our lives. Paul had made the decision that his suffering would be purposeful and he had focused on some things that brought joy to his life. Specifically today, I want to look at the fact that Paul had focused on some things that helped him have joy in the midst of suffering because I think there are some lessons that we can learn for our lives in the midst of difficult times that we all have and how we can have joy. Now, before we dive into that, though, there are two, three foundational ideas that we need to understand about joy. And these are woven through the pages of the letter that Paul writes, but we need to understand these things right up front. First, There is a difference between joy and happiness. We usually think those two are the same. But there is a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance, where we also get our word circumstance. Happiness depends on what is happening around me. Happiness depends on my circumstances. Let me sort of illustrate. Suppose tomorrow afternoon you go out to your mailbox and you find there an envelope that has a check for $300 for it. You weren't expecting it. You can't believe it's there. I mean, you'd be pretty happy, wouldn't you? And so, I I mean, I can picture you getting that check out, and you've got to go somewhere in the car, and you jump in the car, and you are happy, and you're playing the music, and uh, you're singing along with the windows up, of course, never singing with the windows down, at least if you're me. And, uh, I mean, you're just happy. That's a wonderful thing that's just happened to you. Well, before you realize it, you look in your rearview mirror and there is a police officer behind you with his lights on. You were a little too happy. He pulls you over. You were speeding. He writes you a ticket for $150. Suddenly, you're not so happy anymore, are you? I know you still got a net gain, but you're not so happy because of what has just happened. Your circumstances have affected how you feel and has taken away your happiness. Joy, on the other hand, is something that is internal. Joy is something that is constant because joy is something that we choose. Joy is something that happens as a result of having a relationship with Jesus. Here's the second thing we need to understand. Joy is not an emotion. It is a choice. Okay? We, we often think, well, joy is just one of those emotions and I can't really control my emotions. 
Joy is not an emotion. It is a choice that I make. We need to understand that. Third key principle about joy, according to what Paul writes here, is that joy can happen in the midst of suffering. Suffering does not mean joy has been eliminated from my life. Joy and suffering can happen together. In fact, in the New Testament of the Bible, there are 18 different times, 18 different times that joy and suffering are talked about together, where they are linked together. They're not exclusive of each other. And so, in the midst of suffering, which will happen in all of our lives, right? It is inevitable, the Bible is really clear, that there are going to be times in life when we struggle, there are going to be times in life when we suffer under the difficulties of some things. Even in the midst of that suffering, it is possible to have joy. That's how Paul, in the midst of being in prison, could write about having a life that is full of joy. You know, a prison cell is not always, being in prison is not always just about being in a concrete cell with prison bars, is it? Now, there are times we imprison ourselves. There are a lot of people who are behind the bars of a really unhappy relationship. They're imprisoned by it. And it takes away their joy. There are people who are uh, locked behind the bars of a um, some kind of circumstance that they just think they'll never be able to overcome. And they let it rob them of their joy. There are people who find themselves behind some kind of physical limitation. Their body just doesn't function like it used to. And it robs them of their joy. Paul says that shouldn't happen. Because even in the midst of that suffering, it is possible to have joy. Now how does he do it? Well, that's what I want us to specifically look at today. How does he have joy in the midst of that suffering? So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did... I encourage you to take it out and open to the book of Philippians. We're going to start right in chapter 1 and verse 1. And if you've got one of these neat little things that marks your place, you might want to just put it right there at the beginning of Philippians and keep it there for, for the next uh, three weeks. We're going to dive into this book and really see what it has to say about joy. And I encourage you at home over this week, uh, take some time and just read through this letter and what Paul has to say. Here's what he says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, let me stop there because it's interesting that Paul identifies himself as a servant of Christ Jesus here because so many times when Paul writes letters, one of the first titles that he gives to himself is he calls himself an apostle. And usually he does that because the people that he's writing to question his authority in some way. And so he immediately has to establish his authority and establish the validity of what he's going to say to them. But in this case because of the relationship that he shares with the people in Philippi, they already respect him. He doesn't have to establish his authority. He doesn't have to give validity to his message. He's just a fellow servant. Then he says this, to all of the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Do you realize this morning, you are a saint, little s? That's right, if you are a Christ follower, if at some point in your life you have made the decision to accept God's gift of salvation and accepted His gift of the penalty of your sin being paid for, you're a saint. When Jesus died on the cross, He made it possible so that His righteousness could, in a sense, be placed on you. So go ahead and use that. You know, in, in your business card, go ahead and put it right down there in the corner. Saint. 
You know, on your Facebook page, go ahead and, and just put it right there. Saint. You know, on the next time you have to do a resume for a business or something, go ahead and put it right on there. I'm a saint. Because you are, if you are a Christ follower. Paul says this, verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 3, he gives us his first insight into what it is that he focuses on so that he can have joy in his life. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time you come to mind. I thank my God. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's the first time out of the 12 times he uses that word. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Paul says one of the things that I focus on is a right partnership. Paul says as I'm sitting here in prison You guys keep coming to my mind. And when I think about you and how God is at work in your lives and what God has already done in your lives, it fills me with joy. I was thinking about that yesterday and I have this book that sits on my shelf that Dan actually made fun of me this morning for even having, but somebody gave this to me when I graduated from college before I went to my first church. And it is kind of an old thing. It's called a pastoral record sounds really churchy, doesn't it? And uh, there's a place in it for me to write down everybody I've ever performed their wedding ceremony. And uh, if I've ever done somebody's funeral, they might be in here. And I haven't done very well at keeping up, but there is a section in the front that for the first several years, I did really good. It's all the people that I've ever had the privilege of baptizing into Jesus Christ. I've written their names in here. And you know what? When I go through and look at this list of names, there are names that just jump off the page at me. I saw in here a guy named Tom who lives in Ohio. And when I saw his name yesterday, I was filled with joy because I thought about our relationship. I thought about how I watched God work in his life as he began to investigate Jesus Christ years ago and how he got to the point in his life when he was ready to step across the line of faith. And I thought about what God has done in his life since and in his marriage and his family because he's been living and following Jesus. And I am filled with joy as I focus on that. You know, in the midst of suffering, we sometimes just see the suffering. What if our focus was on other people and how God was working in their lives and other relationships? Paul goes on and explains this a little bit more. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I I think about you and I think about how really we are partners and you're in my heart because of that. And this morning even as I have walked around the campus here at Mariner and and as we were, some of you were here early setting up and I watched you and I've watched you working in the courtyards and I thought about the people that are overworking in the children area and I think about some of you that lead life groups and it fills me with joy because as I look at you, I think we're in this together. Together, we are accomplishing what Jesus has called us to do. And that fills me with joy. And as in your life, you look around at people that your life is intertwined with and that you're even here serving together with. That ought to fill you with joy, Paul says. There's one more thing he says in verse 9. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul says these people in Philippi, another way, that another part of their partnership, another way that he finds joy in that relationship is that he prays for them. 
You know what? What does it do for us when we're busy praying for other people? You know what it does? It takes the focus off of my troubles and puts my focus on somebody else. And Paul says, by doing that, even in the midst of being in prison, by focusing his attention on other people, he finds joy. Because he sees God at work in these people's lives. There's another thing that he has chosen to focus on that he talks about beginning in verse 12 that also brings him joy. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know what Paul's talking about here? He has focused his life on right priorities. His priority is to advance the story of Jesus. That word advance there goes back to uh, Greek military terms. And in their military, they had these engineers who would go out ahead of the militia and in advance of them would prepare a path, would make sure there was a path for the militia to march into battle on. They would prepare the way. That was They were going out in advance to prepare the way. And Paul says, I find joy in the fact that I am getting the privilege of being part of sharing the Gospel, of telling the story of Jesus. And I find joy in that. He says in verse 13, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, here's Paul in prison and he says, you know, while I'm in prison, everybody knows why I'm here, that I'm really here to advance the cause of Christ. Now, how does that happen? Well, picture this. Paul is chained for hours at a time to two guards on either side of him. What do you think Paul does the whole time he's chained up? I think he tells these guys the story of Jesus. And he tells these guys about the difference that Jesus has made in his life. And that reputation is spreading throughout the palace guard. Now, you know what's interesting? Paul finds himself in prison in Rome. For years, Paul had been sort of saying to God, I, I want to go to Rome. He would kept trying over and over again to go to Rome because he thought if he could go to Rome and share the story of Jesus there, share the gospel there, that it was such a hub of their culture that from that point the, the story of Jesus could spread around the world. But God kept telling him, no. God kept sending him to other places to the point where, I, you know, you wonder if Paul got a little frustrated. God, no, I, I really I want to go to Rome. No, go over here. Well, little did Paul know that eventually he would find himself in Rome and he'd have the opportunity that he'd so longed for to tell the story of Jesus there. And these palace guards that he was chained to, these were the elite guards. And it was often these guys would serve for a guard as a while and then they would get elevated to some other position in government, some other very influential position in government. So here's Paul spending hour after hour after hour chained to these guards, telling them the story of Jesus. And these guys eventually will get uh, promoted to other positions where they will have greater influence to spread the message and the story of Jesus around the city of Rome. And Paul says, because that's my priority in life, telling the story of Jesus, I'm, I find joy in that. And even in the midst of being here in prison, I can see God is using me to tell the story of Jesus. Paul's priority was he wanted every man, woman, and child to have opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the story of Jesus. And it was getting lived out right there in prison. Notice what he says beginning in verse 15. He says, It is true 
that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He says there are, these, there are other people that are out there telling the story of Jesus. Some of them have good motives. Some of them don't. Verse 16, the latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Paul says there are some people that are out there telling the story of Jesus and they're doing it out of love. And it's a good thing. There are other people that are out there telling the story of Jesus and they're doing it out of rivalry. They're, They're trying to create a name for themselves. They're trying to get attention on themselves. And then he says this. And wouldn't you think that would bother him? I mean, what, well, it seems like that ought to make Paul mad. Here's his response, verse 18. But what does it matter? The Greek could actually be translated there, so what? But we might say today, ah, whatever. Paul says, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care what the motives are as long as the story is getting spread. He goes on to say the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, he says, I rejoice. Because the story of Jesus is being told. Because the the fame of Jesus is being increased. I'm full of joy. I rejoice. There's another thing then that I want to point out to you that Paul has focused on that helps bring joy to his life. It's in verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers, the people of Philippi, and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, or the Holy Spirit, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul says, I know this is all going to turn out for good. Now, I think Paul has the right perspective, I'm sure, from other things that he writes in the Bible. He understands that his definition of turning out for good may be different than God's definition of turning out for good, and he's okay with that. But he is confident that it's going to turn out for good. You know why? Because he has focused on the right power. He has focused on the power of the Holy Spirit, the abundant power and resources of the Holy Spirit, instead of focusing on his own dwindling power and resources. And you know what? In our lives, if we will focus more on the abundant power and resources of God and a little less on our inability and lack of resources, we will have more joy in our lives. Because when I think it's all up to me, that robs me of joy. But when I'm reminded it's all up to God and I can trust in His power through His Holy Spirit in my life, that can fill me with joy. There's one more thing that Paul has focused on. It's in verse 20. He says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I want to have courage. I never want to be ashamed of the fact that I am living for Jesus, even while I'm here in chains. Just as when I was free and when life was good and I was telling people about Jesus, even now, when I find myself in prison, I still want to live for Jesus. And then he says this in verse 21, and if you underline things in your Bible... This is one of those verses you ought to underline and think about often. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul has joy because he has the right purpose in life. And the right purpose for him is life is all about representing Jesus Christ. Life is all about Jesus. 
His single-minded purpose, His single-minded pursuit in life is to live for Jesus. And Paul says, that brings me joy. You know, that verse, verse 21, would probably be a good test for our lives. What would you put in those blanks? For me to live is what? What's your purpose in life? And to die is what? You know, people in our culture, in the world that we live in, they'd probably put a lot of different things in there. Some people would say, for me to live is money. And to die would be to lose it all. Other people in our culture might say, for me to live is that relationship, whatever that relationship is. And I know it's unhealthy at times, and I know at times I shouldn't be involved in it, and I know I ought to get out of it, but for me to live is that relationship, and to die, I'd be lost without Him. Some people in our culture would say, for me, to live is fame and notoriety. But to die, I'd be forgotten. Others would say, for me to live is that habit, whatever that habit or addiction is. But to die would be to have to give it up. What is it for you? For me, to live is what? What is that purpose? What is that thing in life that you, if you're honest, Pursue more than anything else. What is it that takes your time, that grabs your schedule, that controls your finances? For me to live is what? And to die is what? Paul suggests here, in his own, by his own life and his own example, that if we want to experience a joy-filled life, we have to get to the point where we echo with him, for me to live is Jesus or is Christ and to die is gain. For me, to live is all about Jesus. My purpose in life, my pursuit in life is simply to follow Jesus and to grow to be as much like Him as I possibly can. And Paul says, when we get to that point, we'll find joy. Our lives can be filled with joy. Robbie Robbins was an Air Force pilot and at the end of the second Gulf or the first Gulf War, near the end of the first Gulf War, he had flown his 300th mission and to his surprise when they got back from that mission, his commander said we're sending you home and they very quickly got his whole crew together, put him on their plane and they flew home. They didn't, there wasn't any time to call his family and tell them that they were headed home and they landed in Massachusetts and then they got in a car and his buddies, and he started the long drive to western Pennsylvania. And when they got across the state, nearly to his home, the sun was just starting to come up and they pulled up to his house to drop him off. And he could see there hanging on the front of the house was a big sign that said, Welcome home, Dad. And he thought, how did they know? I, we didn't call them. Nobody warned anybody. We didn't tell anybody else. How did they know? I thought they'd be surprised. He went into the house and his children were about half ready for school and they came running down the hall. Dad, Dad, it's so good to see you. And then in his own words he writes, and then Susan, my wife, came walking out of our room. Her makeup was all done. Her hair looked beautiful. She had a crisp yellow dress on. She hugged him and he said, how did you know? He said, we, we didn't call. And she said, well, I knew that the time of the war was drawing to the end and uh, we knew that you wouldn't call us, that you'd try to surprise us. and We didn't know you were com- coming home. We just have been ready every day. I will tell you this morning, 
there's the possibility that every day life is going to throw some surprises your way. And sometimes those surprises will come in the form of really difficult circumstances. And you need to be ready every single day. And if you are, and if you are all about pursuing Jesus, and the, the way that you're ready every day is by making sure that your life is focused on Jesus, that He is what is most important to you. And if that's true, then even when life throws those surprises your way, you'll be ready to say, I was ready every day. And if you're ready like that, your life can be filled with joy. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You for the gift of joy that comes from You. Father, forgive us because at times we have thought that joy comes from sources all around us in this culture and in our world. God, I thank You for Paul's example. That even in the midst of really difficult circumstances, circumstances that none of us would want to find ourselves in, his life was still full of joy. And God, would You help us today and in the days to come to focus our lives on the same things that He focused on so that our lives could also be filled with joy. Father, would You help us to quit, to quit equating happiness and joy, quit equating the fact that our joy depends on what happens around us, and just clearly remind us every day that our joy is found in our relationship with You. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.